the Lord brought a memory to me. And it was one of those, it was an old psalm that I used to sing when I was in the, my younger years in the youth, back when I thought integrity, Hosanna, was cool. <laughs> Come on, they were cool, they were. That's all we had. All we had was integrity and Carmen, right? And then Petra came out. And then we got all. And then Striper, huh? <laughs> but it was integrity, but it was, I, I remember the song. And I started singing this song as I was driving in the car. And I don't even know where it came from. And I was like, so I, I'm going to probably just sing it. I don't really want to sing it. But, but if y'all know it, y'all can kind of join me. Where it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, that was it. And I was, I was like, where did that come from, God? Like, you know, and I'm like, man, come on, the redemption of the Lord. So just the redeeming of the Lord. So I, I do want to um, uh, read out of Psalms 107, um, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercies endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Come on. That's a good word, man. Good word. Um, if we continue to read on in that chapter, we'll, we'll see that it's all about the goodness of God. And about the people, that they're giving thanks to God for being delivered. They were set free. So they're saying, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. They had something to rejoice about, right? Come on, they really did. And I, and I think about what we've been experiencing this past 14 days of all the people that we're seeing set free from deliverances. They're being, bondages are being broken, chains are being broken. People are getting set free. Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right? So that's, I'm like, God, okay, you're, 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 you're trying to tell us something this morning. Oh, Lord. Holy Spirit. So they, you know, like you know me, I, I like to ask the Lord questions, and and one of the ones that I asked the Lord this morning said, "Lord, what does it really look like to be redeemed? What does it look like to be redeemed for us today?" The word "redeemed" means this: it means to gain or to regain possession of something in exchange for payment. It also means to compensate for the faults or for bad aspects of something. The word uh, paideon, I hope I say this right, paideon, it's a word in the, in the Hebrew that refers to, the, it refers to redemption. And it means that the price that was paid, there's a price that was paid. So paideon in Hebrew means, it means to be paid in full. To be redeemed, to be set free, to be rescued. It means to be delivered from something. That's what it means. You know, you hear me often say um, about we, we need to understand who we are. And, you know, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I just need you to understand the validity and the importance of knowing who we are in Christ. The redeeming, the redemption of who Christ has called us to be. Because everything that we do and say comes from that place of understanding and knowing our identity. It really does, you know. And, and, and I know we battle sometimes in our own selves. And, you know, there's things that we'll, you know, we, we put our flesh under subjection daily. We have to because the devil's a liar. You know, and the truth is, we do know who we are in Christ, but the devil comes and he begins to lie to us. And there's moments that we go in our lives and like, wait a minute, do I really know who I am? And it's like those little hiccups that come. But we have to know who we are in Christ because everything that we do and say will come from that, that place. 
And that means this. That means if you don't know who you are, what happens is you will speak a language according to what your belief system is. I found myself saying this sometimes. Well, it is what it is. We, we do that, right? Oh, that's just my luck. Wrong answer. We say that like, well, something bad happened. Well, yeah, that's just my luck. It is what it is. Wrong. It is what God says it is. You know, and so there's a different, there's a shift, there's a paradigm shift when we really understand the kingdom lenses that we begin to look. It's like, listen, we have lenses. And without these lenses, y'all look, look very blurry to me. But once I put these things on, I can begin to see clearly, and now I can identify who you are. You see, the Lord wants us to put on some kingdom glasses today to begin to see how he wants us to see. Because if we don't, everything we speak will look distorted. I could be talking to Pastor Judy, and it's really Sister Diane. It's a distortion. It's not even real. That's, that's why it's so important. The how we see. You know, and that even includes redemption. It means even judgment. How I believe in my belief system on how I see God is going to even filter what I see God's judgment looking like. It will filter what I see God's redemption looking like. Well, I've been redeemed, but that part I'm not redeemed in because, man, I was really bad. So I'm only redeemed enough to what I feel I can work my salvation through and everything else isn't covered by God because God's an angry God. After all, look what he did with, with the people in Genesis and, and the people with Noah. And I mean, look what happened, right? You see, there's a different filter there. And we're going to get into that. <laughs> Holy Ghost. So here we go. We need to change the way we speak. We need to begin to change how we think. That word repentance, metanoia, it's metanoia. It means for us to change the way that we think. Man, listen, this is so, I know it's elementary for us. We know this to be truth, but yet we struggle with this part. Stop thinking the way that we think. You are not a victim. You are not a slave. You are not. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High. And all of heaven's authority has been put inside of you and I. What are you doing with it? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. What am I doing with what God has given me? Some of us, listen, some of us are getting really spiritually obese that we got all this stuff inside of us, but we're doing nothing with it. We got to get out. We got to go start spending that inheritance. Come on, Jesus. So, one of the greatest stories that we see on redemption, we can find it in the Old Testament. And I was reading this this morning. And it starts in Genesis 6. I'm not going to read it. Uh, it I mean, it's a lot to read, but it's, you can, I, I want to encourage you to go and read this on your own. Read all of Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Three chapters. And what it is, it's talking about, you know, let, let's, uh, well, I'll just sum it up. God, he warns us of a coming judgment. This is going to be a worldwide punishment. But for those who, who would not repent for their sins and believe the warnings of Noah, they were welcome aboard if they repented and they believed in the warnings of Noah all the way up until when the water began to fall. See, we're talking about the redemption of God. Well, how is that, re how is that even, that sounds like an angry God to me. Like, what do you mean he put, like he was telling people to change their ways or, or you know, they were going to die. Well, that's what he said. He said, but if you change the way that you think, if you change what you believe, if you repent of the lifestyle that you're living, you are welcome 
on the ark. You're welcome. This is the invitation for God. He's saying, listen, you're all welcome. The world is welcome. But you, you have to shift some things. you got to change the way you think, right? And no, there's a lot more to it. I'm just kind of. So we see he gave them an opportunity to come in. All were welcome on the ark. Up until the moment that it started raining. And I was looking in the scripture this morning, and I was trying to find out the dates and the times and and it was probably a little bit, I needed more time to really dig into that. But approximately, it was 120 years. And you can get into, like, dates and numbers and all that, and I'm not going to do that today. Because then you go back and look at when his son was born and that son was born, and they, they kind of go back and forth. And but approximately 120 years of preaching in other words, the Lord gave the people 120 years to get it right. That's not a mad God. That's not a God who's angry. He's like pleading. Like, I'll give you another year. Just come on, man. Here's another 10 years. Come on. Another 15 years. 120 years. He gave them. And then he said, even to the very end, to the very last moment, till the first raindrop came, he gave them. Oh. And there was room for the people. But only eight were saved. We know what the eight means, new beginnings. See, God knew what he was doing. Holy Ghost. God wasn't an angry God waiting to destroy the world. He did everything that he could to give humanity an opportunity to change the way they thought. That's a good God. That's a picture of his redeeming power of a redemptive God. Man, I think of my story. I think of your story. Think of what you've been through in your walk. How many years did it take you? Right? Nah. I know it wasn't 120 years because y'all all look like you're 20. Come on, good job, good job. Got some brownie points on that one. But, but you see what I'm saying? How many years did it take for us to, to finally get it? So then we also see in, in Genesis 22 a story. But let, let's turn there. Let's turn to Genesis 22. No, you know what I'm going to do is I'm not going to turn. I'm, I want you all to read it because that's a lot. We're gonna, that we'll be here all day just reading that one chapter. I want you to go, put this on your notes. I want you to go and read Genesis 22. And it will correlate with what I'm going to share right now with you. Because it's a story about Abraham and Isaac. So we're talking about the redemption, the redemptive nature of God. And that's why... It's important that we know who God is. Because when we know who God is, we know his nature. And his thoughts for us are good. You see? And that shifts everything. It changes everything. God asked Abraham uh, to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And throughout the whole process of going to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, no, to sacrifice his son, Isaac, the sacrifice was obedient. He was obedient to his father, and his father was hopeful 
because he knew the nature of his Father in heaven. And because he knew the nature of his dad, he knew that even if he were to sacrifice his son, that he would resurrect his son. That's, that's a whole other level of faith, man. Right? I mean, you mean to tell me he, not only did Abraham have the faith to trust God because he knew the nature of God, but he also had enough faith to be obedient to God that if God did allow him to sacrifice him, he would be obedient to resurrect him, and he was okay with that. Man, I don't know. I, I couldn't do that. I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I, I could. Man, Jesus Abraham fully expected to sacrifice his son on the altar. And he was also confident that the Lord was going to resurrect him if he did. But what he didn't expect is what God had in store and what he had in mind. You know, I was, I was sharing with somebody yesterday that in the seasons of transition and in the seasons of growing, and what I've learned in that time is that a lot of times the Lord, he'll ask us to do things to step out in seasons. And it could be, it could be different for everybody. Some people, it could be leaving a whole other state. Some people, it could be like, I want you to sell your house and sell all your belongings. Some people, it's like, I want you to quit your job and follow me, right? So every person's different. But this was reminding me is that, see, God is so good that we know the nature in his heart that everything that he does is according to his perfect will and his perfect plan. That sometimes he's not looking for you to really go in a, and sacrifice your son. He just wants to know if you would be willing to do it for him. That's all it is. He just wants to know if you would be willing to say yes to God this morning. Well, God, what do you mean? You want me to you want me to you, you want me to give up my retirement, God? And go full-time ministry? Wait, wait, hold on, God. You want me to sell my house, God, and move to, to Alaska? And God's like, yeah. Will you do it for me? Well, I don't know, God. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, how is this going to work? No, 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 no. Are you going to do it for me? And I know our natural mind can't wrap around that sometimes. Like, wait a minute, God. Wait. We want to have, like, I want to know where I'm going to live, God. How cold is it going to get in Alaska, God? I mean, how am I going to eat? Do I have to fish for my food? Am I going to become a, I mean, am I going to have a house or am I going to have a cabin? Um, will I have a car, God? Right? We want it all figured out before we step into it. You better believe that Abraham was like, God, wait a minute, what kind of night? I mean, how, what, what, am I, am I, where do I get, do it? How do I do it, God? He's like, no, just, just do it. And I'm telling you what, the Lord is only looking for our willingness to say yes to him. Many times he doesn't expect you to do it. He just wants to know if you're willing to step out and say yes to do it. And I have found that that's a sacrifice. Your yes is a sacrifice. I mean, really, you can be like, I don't know what it looks like, God. I don't know what it looks like, but I'll, I say yes. I'll, I'll say yes, God. I don't, it's going to cost you. I, I know, God, but I say yes. And in the yes, he's faithful to the yes. He is faithful, guys. Come on, he's so faithful. Why do I know that he's faithful? Because I know his nature. And because I know his character. And I know his thoughts for me are good. And for you, then you should know that what he has planned for you, he's already ordained for you. Yeah. Jesus. So you go in Abraham. I can you imagine? He's, he's got Isaac on the altar. 
I don't even know how they do it, but I'm not going to. And right moments before he's going to thrust the knife into his son. I mean, it's like split seconds. God says no. And then he provides the sacrificial ram. And he brings it. And I can only imagine what that would have felt like. How God, Papa, Father, says, man, I'm so proud of my, my son. Your willingness. That's the redemption. That even in the midst of when we think, he still redeems us. There was an exchange that took place even in that moment with Isaac. Ah, Jesus. The redemption character of God is this. Because he loves us, redemption is his character. Like, so if we were to look at the attributes of who God is, he is a redeeming God. That's who he is. And for him not to be a redemptive God would mean that he would have to go against everything that he says he is. And I'll tell you one thing, he's not. He's not a liar. He's not a liar. He's a good father. And a perfect example of this, we can look, and we all know this by memory, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved pastor so-and-so because they gave their life to Jesus or, or because he believed. No, no. For God so loved the world. The world were people that don't even believe. For God so loved the world that he gave up his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would have eternal, everlasting life. Come on, that's the example of the nature of God, a redemptive God, a loving God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we don't serve a God of, yes, he is judgment. He is all those things. But in his judgment, he is good. That's where we miss it. Because it's in his nature. We see in Ruth, again, go, Ruth, chapter 1 through 4. All the way through, read it. I'm not going to go through all of it this morning. But we see in the book of Ruth, it's another story of God's redeeming power. We see a Hebrew family that moved to a foreign land. Ruth married into this family, but tragically all the men in the family die. I mean, we know the story. I'm just going to paraphrase my notes. Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, they moved back into the land of Israel. And Ruth then became a foreigner in a strange land. She's in a whole other area. Probably feeling alone. What am I doing here, God? Right? Like, what? In all the effort to provide, she wants to provide for her mother-in-law. Ruth went to gather grain in the fields when she met a wealthy landowner where she was working. This man was in Boaz, and he was a kinsman. He was a near kinsman to, to Naomi, but there was also another family that was even closer Right? As a close relative, the second man had the responsibility to care for Naomi and for Ruth. He even possessed the right to marry, marry her, but he didn't want to marry her. He didn't want nothing to do with it, right? We know the story. Again, go read Ruth 1 through 4. I just, I'm going to paraphrase. Um, So he, he, I guess he works out this deal with, with Boaz and, 
and they, they're able to, Boaz later goes on and you see him, he, he marries. The Bible calls Boaz the kingsman redeemer. He brought the responsibility and the care for the ladies and the right to marry Ruth. Even as a foreigner, she wasn't even from the land. She wasn't even supposed to be where she was. But the redemptive nature of God, we see it even in, as a, this is a picture. She goes into another land and God redeems the very thing that she lost and gives it all back to her. Everything. And even as a four, the redemption, it came. And then she was put back in the lineage of King David. And that's, that's pretty awesome. Really, really. <laughs> come on. I was like, holy ghost, I love that. If I can get uh, Peter to come on up here for me. Then we see, let's turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to start on uh, Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read down to verse 22. Then Saul, still breathing, threats and murders against the disciples of all the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue from Damascus, so that he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Question mark. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against goats. So he trembled. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And these men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him hand and brought him into Damascus. And was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. For the one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings and the children of Israel. For I will, sh for I will show him many things that must suffer for my, oh, for my namesake. 
And then Ananias went. Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. And Ananias went in his way, and he entered the house, laying his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, he has sent me that you may receive your sight and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight all at once. And he arose and he was baptized. <laughs> Come on. So when he had received when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Verse 21, then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his, on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Man. So Saul knew who Jesus was. But he just didn't believe that he was the Redeemer that was promised. He knew who he was. Wow. <laughs> but that day... On his way to go and capture the believers, he encounters Jesus, and he saw who Jesus really was. This man who brought so much persecution in the early church was redeemed by the love of God, by the love of Christ. Paul saw later known by Paul, this is the man that we call the Apostle Paul who was responsible for spreading the gospel of Jesus throughout the entire nation in his time. You want to talk about the redemption power of God. You see, Jesus is the great Redeemer. Jesus is the great Redeemer. And on that day on, on Calvary, when, when that blood was shed, He said, it is finished. And the redemption covered all of humanity. He's the great Redeemer. His blood was shed on the cross. That is a beautiful picture of the redemption for you and I. I don't know about y'all, but that just, that hits me, man. You know, that's why we do what we do. That's why I do what I do, because I want people to know this Jesus that I'm talking about. That we go on the streets, that's why we do it. Lord, God, make us hungry. He's a redeemer. Jesus redeemed everything that was stolen that day on Calvary. Everything. It doesn't matter what you think you've lost. It is redeemed. It's finished. Stop believing the lie. You are redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He redeemed your bloodline. <laughs> he redeemed us from every generational curse. 
We've been redeemed. Every lie that was attached to you, we've been redeemed. The problem is we, we give agreement to it and we give it access. He's redeemed us of every lie, of every hurt, of every false accusation. That's what this is all about, God. That's what we, we've been feeling. Like the Lord is exposing those roots. He's redeeming of those things. And we need to know. Again, redeem means to regain possession <laughs> of something. Jesus paid it all. Beloved, we need to stop. We need to stop walking around being enslaved to the lies. We need to know who we are as sons and daughters. This morning, um, I, I had this vision and I, I saw the Lord issuing us commissioning papers this morning. And all these scrolls that he was handing the bride, it said redeemed. It said redeemed. God is restoring the promises this morning that you felt were lost. Listen, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. But if you have ever or you feel like there's been promises that you lost, can we stand up this morning? Listen, I'm telling you what. We need to receive this with your spirit. I want you to receive this. The Lord is giving us our commissioning papers this morning. Everything that the enemy has stolen, the Lord is saying, redeemed. Identity, redeemed. Huh. Hope deferred, redeemed. Right now, Father, Jesus. He's restoring the promises. God says, I am redeeming your rest this morning. Some of us have not been able to rest. Worries and anxiety have, keep, have kept us in bondage. He says, I'm redeeming your rest. I'm redeeming your hope this morning. He says, I'm redeeming your peace. Let us not be like the people in the days of Noah where it took us 120 years. But that this morning there's an exchange for beauty for ashes. <laughs> and this is what the Lord told me this morning. He says, tell them that your land shall be refreshed. Your territory will be blessed. And I'm going to read this as I close. And I want you to receive this. I'm reading out of Joel 2, 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully and the latter rain in the first month. Those are the promises. And the threshing floors shall be full of wheat. Oh, it's harvest time. It's harvest time. And the vats shall overflow with new wine and new oil. New wine, new oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. The crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, 
the chewing locusts. My great army, which I sent them on you, shall eat in the plenty and will be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. And you then shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. And I am the Lord, your God. And that there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Come on, put your hands up. Let's receive that. Shake it in Jesus. On the way here, I heard the Lord say it's it's about to strike 12. And I was like, what is that? So I just kept praying into it and I thought about Cinderella. See, there's a time where she dealt with so much shame, but the clock strikes 12. And it gets turned around. And he just used that story to show me. And I didn't know, you know, what all he was going to speak about. But it is the time that the redeemed say so. Oh, whoa. Because they are being brought out of shame. And everything the enemies try to put on them. And the government of God is about to come. See, Jesus holds the keys to death and the grave. He is the government. He is the government. And heaven is about to invade earth in a way. And the redeemed are going to say so. And all the shame and, and hurt and the pain that the enemy has tried to put on you, he's breaking it because it's about to strike 12. And I just bless you right now. Come on, you guys. If you want prayer, come on up. The redeemed of the Lord is about to say so. The redeemed of you need the redeemed of the Lord to say so. Oh, oh, yeah, for your kids and your family. The redeemed of the Lord's about to say so. He loves you. He's with you. He's for you. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go some more. Come on, begin to worship the Lord. Begin to worship the Lord. Oh, come on. Jesus. The altar's open. I want you to, if you want to come, come worship. Come worship. Come worship. Don't miss it.
I knew 